People are dying to figure out how God does it, if he does it at all. People wonder, how do I know for certain that God is actually active and working in my life? Can I really be sure that there is some kind of divine involvement in my daily affairs? How can I be sure that my life is not just one long string of good fortune, good luck, or good coincidences that just have happened to swing my way? Is there any tangible proof? Are there any things we could point to and say, we know God's working because God's done this? We're not the first people to wonder about it, though. We might imagine in our minds that people in biblical times, surrounded by miraculous events and activities that they just knew for certain. They never struggled with whether or not God was actually working in their lives. And if we assume that, we'd be mistaken. You think about Jacob in Genesis chapter 28. Jacob says to God, I've got to know that you're with me. And only if you're with me and you're my God and you bring me home safely, I'll go over and take my journey into the east like I should. Gideon was ready to be a mighty man of valor on God's behalf against the Midianites, but he needed reassurance. He says, first, God, make the ground around me wet and the dew dry. God does that to prove to Gideon that it was God calling him. But then Gideon needed to double check. And so he asked for God in Judges 6, 39 through 40 to reverse it. And God does. But Gideon, he wanted to be sure. The psalmist just comes right out in Psalm 86 and verse 17 and says, show me a sign of your favor. The psalmist wanted to know what every human heart wants to know. Is God at work and active in my life? And if he is, how do I see it and how can I know? The good news for us is as much as that's a question on the human mind and in the human heart, God hadn't left us without information to guide us toward that end. The book of Esther is uniquely qualified and situated to help us with this question of how do I see God at work in my life? What are the tangible things we can do? It's a book found in the Old Testament, and it's unique for several reasons. Number one, it's one of two books in all of the 66 that's named after a woman. Second thing interesting about the book of Esther is that it takes place entirely on foreign soil and far off Persia and away from Palestine. But perhaps most notably, the book of Esther in its 10 chapters not once mentions explicitly the name of God, though his fingerprints are all over the book. And the book of Esther is designed not only for just simply giving us a good narrative for our amusement. Neither is it simply in the Bible to give women material for ladies' days. No, the book of Esther is designed to see how God worked then and to see how he still works now. If we read and interpret the book of Esther properly, what we'll find is that God put it in the Bible on purpose. And as we read its ten chapters, what we see is how God's working in and through our lives as well. The book of Esther starts in chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, with a man by the name of King Ahasuerus, and he has this grand party. You remember he has this big drinking bout and banquet, and he invites all of his princes and nobles in the 127 provinces in and around Persia to attend this party. And at this party, he calls out the then queen, a woman by the name of Vashti, and he says, I want you to present yourself before me and before all of my noblemen. Vashti refuses. In his wrath and in his anger, Ahasuerus removes her from serving as queen. And Esther chapter 1 and verse 19 says he sought one better than her to take her place. And after the help of one of the king's eunuchs, after the help and providence of the help of her cousin Mordecai, Esther, a Jewish woman who was formerly an orphan, is exalted to the queen in Vashti's place. She gains the favor of everybody that lays eyes on her. And after the largest Mary Kay party in the ancient world. She's crowned queen. But it's not just Esther. 
Her cousin Mordecai is exceptional. At the end of chapter 2, he snuffs out a plot by two unknown people to assassinate the king. He reveals this information to Esther. She gives the information to the king, and it's just recorded in the king's chronicles. The king has a high official by the name of Haman. Haman is told that he wants everybody to bow to him, but Mordecai refuses. Haman takes that anger, and not only against Mordecai, but against all the Jewish people, his wrath is incited. And as his wrath is incited, he gets the king to sign a law into practice that on a certain day, all Jewish people everywhere will be annihilated. Esther chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Mordecai is frustrated. He takes this information to his cousin, the Jewish queen Esther, who sits on the throne. And he says, you've got to do something about this. You've got to go into the king and say something so that our lives are spared and all the people. And while Esther is at first reluctant, Mordecai says, if you remain silent, deliverance will arise from us from some other place. But you and your father's house will be destroyed. Esther boldly and courageously goes into the king unannounced, not knowing what will happen. Meanwhile, the queen, the king remembers what Mordecai did in saving his life, exalts him to a high place and position in his kingdom. Esther reveals Haman's wicked plot and Haman is hung on the gallows that he prepared for Mordecai. Esther begs the king. Now that Haman's out of the picture, can you reverse the law of assassination that he's planned against all Jewish people everywhere? The king says the Persian law can't be overturned, but here's what we can do. We'll sign an additional law into practice. And everybody that's a Jew throughout the province on a special day will be able to rise up and defend themselves. And they do. Seventy thousand people die because the Jewish people assemble in Esther chapters eight and nine and defend themselves. And they route their opposition and accusation. The Jews, in turn, select two special days to forever be a feast for them so that they'll never forget when God delivered them and how he worked on their behalf. And it's from this narrative, it's from this story that every one of us learns five things about the ways we can tangibly see in our own lives how God works. And let's start with number one. Number one, if we want to see God at work in our lives, we need to acknowledge God's sovereignty. You open up to the book of Esther, and what you find is land and read for us in Esther chapter 4. Notice in verse 14, Mordecai says to Esther, if you remain silent at this time, deliverance will arise from another place for the Jewish people. And then in chapter 6, when Haman is frustrated with Mordecai, you remember his wife Zeresh and even the people in his household. In chapter 6 and verse 13, they say to Haman, if this Mordecai before whom you began to fall is a Jewish person, you'll not be able to overcome him, but you will certainly fall before him. What both of those passages are teaching us, though God's name is never mentioned, the Jewish people's success, whether that be Mordecai or Esther, in the end was not contingent upon them, but there was a force behind them that made them unstoppable. What does Mordecai mean in chapter 4 and verse 14 when he says deliverance will arise from another place if Esther doesn't speak up, though she should. God had other plans. What does Haman's family mean in chapter 6 when they say, I know you hate Mordecai and the Jewish people, but if Mordecai is a Jewish person of Jewish descent, there's nothing you can do to stop him. What both of those passages mean to teach is that God is sovereign and in control of all human affairs. Psalm 121 and verse 1, I will lift, look to the, lift up my eyes to the hills from where my help comes. My help is from the Lord who made heaven and earth. These passages teach us that God is sovereign and God is not limited to any one set of tools and circumstances to deliver his people. He does whatever he pleases. And if you want to see God at work in your life and I want to see him at work in mine, first things first, acknowledge that God is completely sovereign. It means that God's in complete control of everything that happens, and he rules the whole world. Job 23 and verse 13, Job says, whatever he plans and purposes, he does. 
Isaiah 14 and verse 27 says, God has spoken it. Who will annul it? God has stretched it out and who will draw it back in? All of my purposes and decrees come to pass. Isaiah 46 and verse 10. The God we serve is not only active in our world, but he's sovereign and he reigns over it. The children's song is right. He has the whole world in his hands, but there's more. God not only has the whole world in his hands, he has my whole world in his hands. Psalm 31 and verse 15, the psalmist says, remind me that my times are in your hands because they are. Somebody says, but how does that work for me? I mean, how do I see God at work in my life? How can I believe that God's sovereign when I don't actually see him and see him visibly doing anything? It's just like your belief in the sun. In the end, you and I believe in the sun, not simply because we see it, but because by it we see everything else. And it's God's work in our lives that helps us to see everything else clearly. Job 12 and verse 10, he gives life and breath to everything. He's completely in control. If we don't know this, that God's sovereign, we'll never see him at work in our lives. We'll be the kind of people that pray the kind of prayers that are always asking for God to show up, do his part, say his lines. But if we see God for who he truly is, he's not a character in the play that occasionally makes appearances, shows up and does his part. He's the screenwriter who doesn't have to show up because he's always and already there. It's what David means in Psalm 139, verses 7 through 11. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I say the darkness will cover me, it's like light to you. I can't escape you, and that's great news. We serve a God who is in complete control of the entire universe, and we'll see God at work in our lives clearly when we realize that he is sovereign and in complete control. He doesn't need his laws to pass through Congress. All of his plans are already fixed as if they've already taken place. Psalm 115 and verse 3 says, our God's in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. Romans 4 and verse 17 says, God calls into existence things that don't and they just happen because he's in complete and total control. Time magazine has recently come out with their list for the most influential people in 2023. They make this list every year. And in the list, they have different people, people in cinema, people in the arts, political activists and various people. This year, Michael B. Jordan made the list. Selena Zelensky made the list. Cindy McCain, Neil Gaiman, other authors and writers. And what they've said is these people in some way, form or fashion have worked to change the world. But if you want to see God active in your life and if I want to see him active in mine, we've got to believe that God in the end is the most influential being in all of creation. And he's the one who ultimately runs the world. What Esther and Mordecai needed to know, no matter what happens, God's got this. When we say God is sovereign, what we mean is he is the absolute monarch of the world. And as his people, it means when he promises to save, he'll save. When he promises to rescue, he'll rescue. When he promises to deliver, he will deliver because he's God. It means you and I should view our lives not at the mercy of our employers or of the governments, Democrats or Republicans, or at the mercy of the climate, its change or lack thereof, or the good fortune of our own lives. If you and I really believe that God is sovereign and he runs the whole world, we'll realize he does whatever he pleases. I, the Lord, create light and darkness. I perform good fortune and calamity, Isaiah 45 and verse 7. He's in complete control of the universe, but also of our lives. You see, the people in Esther's day, they needed to know they weren't at the hand of Xerxes. They weren't at the hands of Haman. 
they were in the best place they could possibly be. They were in the hands of Almighty God. You want to see God at work in your life? Remember, God has always been and always will be in complete control of everything. And if you're a Christian, that's great news for you. It's amazing how often pagans in the Bible get this. The two spies, they come to Rahab's house in Joshua chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. And Rahab is essentially saying, what are you guys doing here? I know your God. We heard about what he did to the people on the other side of the flood, the kings of Og and of Zion. Everything's in your complete control, not because the Jewish people were special, but because their God was and is extraordinary. And we serve the very same God. Somebody says, is God working in my life? He always is because he's in complete control of everything. Here's number two. How do I see God at work in my life? Appreciate the people God's placed there. Now, turn your Bible to Esther chapter two and notice we're introduced to Esther initially as a person who's an orphan. Her parents died long before and she's in the care of her cousin by the name of Mordecai. Mordecai comes along and he helps Esther. Esther does everything that Mordecai says. Verses five down through verse eight. When they get ready to look for the next queen, well, Esther will eventually be selected. But first, there's going to be this great lottery, this great draft that's going to take place with women throughout the Persian Empire. But blessed enough for Esther, a man by the name of Haggai actually ends up being the eunuch that's over her jurisdiction. And he provides her with the cosmetic helps and everything she needs to go in to the king and make a good impression. Mordecai tells Esther in chapter two, verses 10 through 11, whatever you do, don't tell him you're a Jew. You just keep that in refrain. And as she always did, Esther obeyed. Esther had Mordecai. She had Haggai. She even had women later on in chapter four and verse 16 who were willing to fast alongside her as she prepared to make the roughest decision of her life and to go in before the king unannounced. God was at work in Esther's life through all of these people. And the truth for you and me is God's at work in our lives through the very same thing. You want to see God at work in your life? Appreciate the people that God's put around you. Think about how often the Bible talks about relationships, but not just relationships. The Bible will mention people and then say those people are in our lives because God put them there. A prudent wife is from the Lord. Proverbs 19, 14. He that finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Not only is marriage a blessing, but according to Solomon, a good wife actually comes from God. Or Psalm 127 and verse three. Children are the heritage of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is. His reward. Solomon says children are ultimately God's property. They come from him into our lives. Friends are a blessing from God, according to Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 17. A man of many friends must show himself friendly, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 18 and verse 24. Two are better than one. They have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one can lift up another. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Our lives will be blessed through the relationships we have with other people. You've got godly parents. Have you had godly parents? God's at work in your life through them. Exodus 20 and verse 12. Moses says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise that your days might be long in the land, which the Lord gives you. Timothy, remember the sincere faith that first dwelt in your mother and then in your grandmother. Second Timothy 1 and verse 5. What this means for you and me is this. We are more likely to see God in the face of our spiritual siblings than we ever will through a still, small voice. You know, so many people want God to speak to them. I wish God would say something to me. You and I have got a better chance of seeing God in the face of one another as God shows up in our lives through people than we ever do. Hoping that God's going to whisper something to us or show us a sign in the clouds or speak to us at night right before we go to bed. God's speaking to us all the time through his people. He told Elijah in first Kings chapter 17 and verses eight and nine. He says, I want you to go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. And I've got a widow there who's prepared and she'll feed you. 
Jesus could say to the disciples in Matthew 10 and verse 40, he that receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives the one who sent me. Why is that true? It's because God's at work in our lives through other people. When the apostles showed up, it was as if God himself was working in and through them, and whatever you did to them, you ultimately did to God. Jacob had been torn away from his brother Esau for decades because of wrong that he had done. But when they finally meet again, you remember what Jacob says to Esau, Genesis 33 and verse 10. He says, I've seen your face and it appears to me that I've seen the face of God. Jacob didn't literally see God, but in seeing Esau, not only was that relationship mended, but his relationship with God was mended because God is at work in our lives through our relationships. And this means everything about how we go about our daily lives. It means you and I should approach every relationship with wisdom and should be saying to ourselves, What am I supposed to learn from this person? It's not by happenstance that we work at the same place or that this person lives next to me. What virtues am I supposed to cultivate? What vices am I supposed to shed? Don't you see it in the book of Esther? Notice God uses his own people. That's Mordecai. He also uses pagan people like he got. He he says, listen, I work through both. It means that everybody we meet is a part of God's process in refining us to be better people. It's not an accident. As iron sharpens iron, so a man's countenance is sharpened by his friends. Proverbs 27 and verse 17. God is involved in our lives through the people that we meet all the time. And we shouldn't miss this. We shouldn't view our relationships as those which just so happen to be taking place. We should be cultivating and developing those relationships because God puts people in our lives to shape us and make us better. You remember this part in The Lion King? When Simba and Rafiki are having this conversation, and Rafiki says, I've seen your dad. He's still with you. He's present in your life no matter what you think. He takes Simba to the water, stirs it. Simba says, I don't see anything but my reflection in there. And what does Rafiki tell him? He says, I want you to look harder in the water. And when he does, he sees his father clearer than he ever did before. And maybe you're hearing this part of the sermon and you say, I don't see God in the faces of my associates. I don't have anybody in my life like a Mordecai or like a Hegai. I don't have any people that come alongside me and help me. Can I encourage you to look harder, look closer, look deeper and see that God is ever present in those relationships? Jesus says the judgment scene in Matthew 25, 31 through 46, there are going to be all kinds of people there. And they're going to say, Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, naked and in prison? And Jesus is going to say, didn't you see me in all of those people in which you could have served in all of those opportunities? He's present through his people. It's always been that way. It always will be. Paul told the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 8, Now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. How do I see God at work in my life? Appreciate the people that God's put in your possession. Appreciate the people that are ever about you, the people that flow in and out of your life. Somebody says, is God at work in my life? Let me ask you a question. Who taught you the gospel? Who introduced you to the truth about Christianity? Do you have a loving spouse, husband, or wife? Do you have at least one faithful Christian friend who encourages you and motivates you to live the Christian life like you should? Have you been encouraged through songs written by other people that you've never met or read books that draw you deeper and further into the love of Almighty God? Do you have at least one person, if you went to them on a moment's notice, they drop everything and pray with you and pray for you? Have you had employers who has been a pleasure to work for who've allowed you to support your family and your loved ones? Has anybody at any time in your life done anything whatsoever to help you move along? If they have, don't you see your Mordecai's? Don't you see that in every life God has built in a cheering section to help us, to hold us accountable, but more than that, ultimately, to help us to see him? And he wants us to open our eyes so we don't miss it. 
James 1 and verse 17 says, Every good and every perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. How is God at work in my life? Through the people that God places in my life on a daily basis. Esther's life was blessed because she just so happened to be around the right eunuch. She just so happened to have a cousin named Mordecai who came to her aid and helped her. She just so happened to have a throng of women who would be willing to pray with her and pray on her behalf. And you and I have the very same things in our lives if we would open our eyes up enough to see it. Here's number three. How do I see God at work in my life? Appreciate God's providence and cooperate with it. Turn your Bible to Esther chapter 4. This is where she and Mordecai have the discussion. And Mordecai says, you've got to go in and speak up for the Jewish people. And you remember in verse 11, Esther's hesitant about doing this because she knows to go into the king unannounced could mean her immediate death. But eventually Mordecai says in verse 14, if you hold your peace, deliverance for the Jewish people will arise from elsewhere. But perhaps you've come for the, to the kingdom for such a time as this. The NLT captures this best when it says, perhaps you've been made queen for this very time and this very purpose. What is Mordecai driving at? The providence of God. And if you want to see God at work in your life, if we want to see him at work in our lives, we've got to cooperate with his providence. What is providence? It's in the first part of that word. It means to provide. Providence is God working in the lives of his people through non-miraculous means, through everyday things, to accomplish his will in the lives of his people. If we want to see God at work in our lives, we've got to cooperate with the providence of God. It's his normal activity without violating our free will. It's not a miracle, but it's what God uses to work in the lives of his people. You think about Joseph. Joseph's brothers in jealousy and hatred sell him off to the Midianite people. How could they have known? There's no way they could have known that eventually their little brother was going to be second in command in Egypt. They were going to be bowing before him, and it was only through him that Abraham's seed would ultimately be saved. When he finally drops the veil and tells him who he is, he says, don't be afraid. Genesis 45, 5 through 7. God sent me before you to preserve you and to keep many people alive. At the end of the book, they're fearful. That what they've done to Joseph is going to be their undoing. And in Genesis chapter 50, 19 and 20, Joseph says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good to save much people alive as it is this day. What was that? Joseph says, the providence of God was at work and I cooperated with it. You want to see God at work in your life? Cooperate with the providence of God. The providence of God is his goodness that works in our lives. And surely for Christians, there's a special aspect to this. Romans 8 and verse 28 says all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. God is working all things out for our good, but we've got to cooperate with it. God could put Esther in the right position to serve as queen, but he couldn't make Esther speak up. And he could give Joseph all of the talent and ability in the world to interpret dreams. But until Joseph stood up and used the gifting, it would do him no good. And God can put you and me in all the positions. He can orchestrate things in our lives in such a way that we're in the right place at the right time to do the right thing. But if we don't cooperate with his providence, we'll never know his goodness in our lives. We'll miss it and we'll find ourselves often saying, I wish God would show up and do something with me or through me. Question, are you cooperating with the providence of God? What does that mean? It means if our heads are sunk into the sands of sin, the providence of God is going to run roughshod right over us. God wants to do good things in our lives, but if we're running in the opposite direction of his goodness, when our opportunity to do great things for him and him to do great things with us comes, we'll miss it because we're not plugged in. We need to be the kind of people that use the opportunities that are right before us for God's good and God's glory. Providence is not one of those things that kicks in. I know sometimes we look back in retrospect at certain events and we say, you know what? I walked in this place to meet this person, to marry them, and that was God's providence. Providence doesn't kick in. 
Providence doesn't even start the day you become a Christian. Well, the providence of God, no. Providence kicks in the day you're born and it expires the day you meet the God who got it all started to begin with. Listen to Paul in Galatians 1, 15 and 16. He says, God separated me from my mother's womb and called me into the apostleship to reveal his son in me. Before Paul ever heard Jesus on the road to Damascus, every single thing in Paul's life was working toward that end. And don't you know it's that way in your life and my life, too? Everything that God does for us and in us is to draw us closer to himself. But we've got to cooperate with the providence of God. This means you've got to be present right where you are. Mordecai was just doing his duty at the end of Esther, chapter 2, 21 through 23, and he heard this plot about the assassination against the king, and he just heard it and he reported it. He couldn't have known that one day the king would be unable to sleep and the records would be read and he'd be exalted as a result, but he was just simply doing the right thing. And Joseph was just revealing dreams and trying to be a good servant in Egypt. He couldn't have known that one day he'd be in prison with the cupbearer and the chief baker, and it would ultimately lead to him being second in command in Egypt but they were cooperating with it. They were present right where they were, and as a result, God was able and willing to use them. You know, people that constantly have their thumb pressed on the fast-forward button of life, they never see the providence of God. You see, the providence of God is not about, I wish I were younger or older. The providence of God is not, I wish I were richer or poorer or smarter. The providence of God is, I hope I'm present. Because if you can be still and know Psalm 46 and verse 10, no matter what happens, he can and he will work. You don't need favorable circumstances. Just be present right where you are. That's what Esther did. That's what Mordecai did. That's what Joseph did. Somebody says, I want to see God at work in my life. Do everything you can with the opportunities you have right now. Right where you are. You might want another job, but listen. The job you're at right now, who knows why you're working there? Who knows who you're supposed to meet and whose eternity you're supposed to help to change? Work that job faithfully. Being a caretaker for your aged parents is probably not glamorous. You probably don't like to do it. But the day may come when those days are sorely missed. Just be present in that moment, in that time right now. You may long for the days when you're older and when you are out of your parents' house. But if you're a teenager, these are the only teenage years you're ever going to get. Be present right now in that season. And in that moment, you might wish you lived in a different place and that you were in a bigger city. And maybe one day you will. But until then, serve him right here where you are, because God is always working through the present people for the present circumstances when we cooperate with God's providence. Oh, the things we miss in our murmuring. We want other things and other circumstances and a different era and a different episode and a different time. And God's saying, I've got great things in store for you right now. Don't get out ahead of God. Trust him and cooperate with what he's already doing. Philippians 2 and verse 14, Paul says, do all things without murmuring and complaining that you may be blameless and harmless. The sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Is God at work in my life? Just keep doing what God wants you to do. Cooperate with his goodness and providence that's already at work and that's always at work. And you'll be surprised at what he does. The providence of God shows up in our lives to bless us just like it does with Esther. But we've got to do our part alongside him. Here's number four. If we want to see God's providence at work in our lives, we have to refuse to play it safe. Some of us are far too conservative in our discipleship and following Jesus. Doesn't Mordecai know in Esther chapter 3 that if he refuses to bow, things are going to go terrible for him? And he'll be eventually part of the reason why this wrath and fury comes out against the Jewish people. Notice Esther chapter 3 and verse 3. The people come to Mordecai and they say, hey, don't you know you're supposed to be bowing with everybody else? Mordecai says, I'm not going to do that. 
And doesn't Esther know the danger that will be hers if she goes in before the king unannounced? Notice what she says at the end of verse 16 in Esther chapter 4. If I perish, I perish. Because Mordecai and Esther both learned a valuable lesson. There's something in life worse than dying. And that's having no reason to live whatsoever. If a person is not willing to die for something, to lay it all on the line for something, some cause greater than themselves, then they're already dead. Listen to Paul in Philippians 1.21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul's saying, I'd rather die for Jesus Christ than to live without him. You want to see God at work in your life, refuse to play it safe. Refuse to be conservative. Just think about all the people in the Bible who live daring and courageous lives. If the three Hebrew boys were preaching this sermon, they'd say to us, we would have never seen God like we did unless we stood up and were thrown into the fiery furnace, Daniel 3.25. If Caleb and Joshua followed them, they would say in Numbers 14, it was us against 600,000 fighting men who said, we can't go in and take the land. We watched every one of them die, and we did go into the land, and it was as glorious and good as God said it was going to be. And if David followed them, you know what he'd say. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine who defies the army of the living God? I'll fight the giant. Now, what do all of those individuals have in common? Their courage, absolutely, but more than their courage, a daring spirit that refused to simply go through the motions and play it safe. You want to see God at work in your life? Refuse to do the same old things you've always done. What might happen if you say, would you study the Bible? What might happen if you really prayed? I mean, really prayed like God was listening. No matter what other people say can't be done and he won't do, what if you pray like you have heaven's ears, attention, and reinforcement? What would happen if you actually opened up the Bible and read it as if it fell to you and you alone and you just read it and said, God's word is to me and for me and I can read it and understand it. More than that, I'm going to go out and apply it no matter how radical that looks to everybody else in the world. What if you just don't play it safe? God says, I can do all things through you if you allow me, Philippians 4.13. Without me, you can do nothing, John 15.5. And what we find in Scripture again and again is God works through the people that work with him. Somebody says, I want to see God at work in my life. It's not going to be through a sign. It's going to be through our refusal and our stubborn refusal to play it safe. We'll be like Isaiah in Isaiah 6 and verse 8. Lord, hear am I. Send me. You want to see God at work in your life? Don't sit on the sidelines. Listen, somebody says, what's going to happen if I do that? You know what's going to happen if you don't. You're already experiencing that. Now unto him who's able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or even think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus, world without end, Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Don't play it safe. When I say don't play it safe, I don't mean start to live daringly and courageously January 1, 2024. I mean just quit that today. No more playing it safe. I'm going to do what Jesus says, when he says, and watch him work. J.K. Rowling says in the 90s, this is her own self-description, I was as poor as a person could be in modern-day Britain. She was eking out a meager existence as a school teacher. Her passion and desire had always been the right. She was recently divorced. She had a child. She taught school to pay the bills, but on these trains, longhand, by hand, she started to do what she always wanted to do. She started to write the book called Harry Potter. She wrote the book longhand, and she sent it out to several different publishers and publications. Every one of them said, we want nothing to do with it except one. All she needed was one. He said, can you send the rest of it? And the rest of it is history. Her life is and was forever changed. Why? Because she refused to play it safe. 
She stepped out on a limb because that's where the fruit is. She went outside of herself and she was changed. This isn't about using Christianity as some stepping stone to help you accomplish your dreams. It's ultimately about saying, you know what? I'm going to have my life wrapped up in whatever God's doing. And when I do that and refuse to play it safe, you just watch how God is going to work in our lives. No more conservatism as it relates to radical discipleship. Just get out and live for him and watch what he does through us. Esther said, I'll go in if it costs me my life. And guess what happened? She lived in all the Jews. Mordecai says, I won't bow. He stood. Not only did he stand, he stood tallest. And he was second in command in Persia. What does God have in store for us that he can't give us? Because we're too afraid to step out and see him work. Here's the fifth and final thing. If we want to see God at work in our lives, we've got to keep good records. Now, after this, after the Jews have their lives spared through what Mordecai does, you remember what happened? 70,000 people die. The Jews fight back. Esther chapter 9 says the Jewish people do something that I don't know happens anywhere else in the Old Testament. They create a holiday. Listen, this isn't in the law of Moses. It's not in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, or Deuteronomy. They create their own, according to Esther chapter 9, 20 through 22. And they say on this day, we want they, on the 14th and 15th day of the month Adar, which is our March on the Gregorian calendar, every year on those two days, we want everybody to remember what God did for us when we fought back against the Persians and saved our lives. In Esther chapter 9, 27 through 28, they said, you make sure it gets passed down. That clans and generations for years to come will always remember what happened for us when God let us stand up against our enemies. They kept good records. They wrote it down. They didn't want anybody to ever forget what God had done in and through them. And if you want to see God at work in your life, You and I have got to learn how to keep good records. The Bible is filled with stones and memorials, feasts and days and suppers like the one we just enjoyed. Why? Because we lie to ourselves. We say to ourselves, I won't forget. He's answered this time. I remember what he did. And then we always and often forget. What does Hosea 13, 5 and 6 say? When they got full and fattened, they forgot about me. And so God says, I know you think you can trust your memory, your ready recollection. You can't. You need to write it down because if you don't, Every time you face a new trial, God will always have to audition to be God in your life. He will just have to because you'll say, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. Keep good records. If you go to the store today, it's going to be crowded, first of all. But if you go to the store at the end of the transaction, something's going to pop up on the screen. You know what they're going to ask you. Receipt, no receipt, print or email. And you can do whatever you want. You can choose to print it or you could not. When it comes to the divine activity of God in our lives, you always need the printed copy. You always need to print your receipt. And as you start to print them, I mean, as we start to stack them, they'll be as long as a CVS receipt. We're going to see God active in our lives in ways we never imagined before. And what will rise to the surface of our hearts and imagination is this. Your life is not too good to be true. It's too good to be chance. God is involved in our lives. Genesis 28 and verse 16, Jacob says, behold, the Lord was in this place and I didn't know it. How are you ever going to know it? Keep good records. Tell me we're keeping good records. Tell me our thank you list is longer than our may you list. Tell me we remember all the times and all the ways in which he's answered prayers when we thought we were counted out. Tell me we've got our own feast of Purim where we're writing things down. We're remembering all the ways in which God has worked and is working. This word per, it means a lot cast. It means a roll of the dice. You see what the Jews did. They took that day from Esther 3 and verse 7 that Haman meant for their destruction, and they flipped it on them, and they said, we haven't survived by the roll of the dice. It's not luck. There was a hand in it all the time. And every single year, every Jewish person is going to remember what God has done 
because we're going to keep good record books. We always need our receipts. Not because we need a refund from God, but we need to be reminding ourselves of what God does because he's at work in our lives. The story of Esther is as simple as really any Bible story there is. It's the story from tragedy to triumph. It's a poor orphan girl that has the odds stacked against her, and just like we love the stories to go, she goes from rags to riches. She's on the throne in Persia, and in a moment's notice, she has to risk everything. She has to go in before the king at the potential cost of her life, and she does. And when she does, she saves all of her people, the entire Jewish nation, so that the Messiah could come. But fast forward to Jesus. Jesus doesn't go from rags to riches. He goes from the highest throne in heaven, and he comes down to earth for you and me. Predetermined and pre-known. He doesn't go to the cross at the risk of his life. He goes to the cross at the cost of his life. He knows that it's going to cost him everything. And much like Esther, it's not if I perish, I perish. Jesus says, I'll perish so that you never have to. If you ever doubt God working in your life, The Bible says, look no further than the cross. Don't look around the cross to see what else God has in store. Look through the cross because it's only through that God's going to give us everything he's promised to give. Jesus is the new and better Esther, the one who goes in to the eternal throne room on our behalf and lays his life down so that we can take our lives up. And he extends that offer of salvation to everybody in the world. He's saying, I've been working in your life from the moment you were formed. All the providence, all the goodness, every good meal you've ever ate, every laugh you've ever enjoyed, every blessing was always meant to draw you right here to me. It's not an accident. Trade coincidence for providence and see God at work in your life and let him save you. If you need to respond to heaven's invitation and let God work in your life and on your eternal soul, believe that he's Christ. Turn from sin Allow your body to be immersed in water so that your sins can be forgiven. Become a Christian. He's already been working, but he has greater things in store even now. We're going to be led in the song to encourage us. If we can be God's work to you and for you, we'd be happy to pray with you. Come now as together we stand and as we sing.